Welcome to the third episode of Daring Deeds and Doers, the podcast where I discuss daring deeds and you try to guess a doer. As always, I'll reveal the answer towards the end. And without further ado, let's jump right into it. We're going to start November 7th, 1867 in Warsaw, Congress, Poland, Russian Empire. She was the fifth and youngest child. Both of her paternal and maternal families had lost their property and fortunes during the Polish national uprisings aimed at restoring Poland's independence. This led to her and her siblings having a difficult upbringing. Her paternal grandfather was a leading figure in Polish literature. Her father taught mathematics and physics and was a director of two Warsaw secondary schools. When the Russian authorities eliminated laboratory instruction from Polish schools, her father brought home his lab equipment and instructed his children from home. Eventually, he was fired for pro-Polish views and forced to take a lower-paying post. Her mother operated a prestigious Warsaw boarding school for girls, but her mother resigned from the position after she was born. Her mother died of tuberculosis in May of 1878, when she was only 10 years old, and three years before that, her oldest sister died of typhus. These two deaths caused her to give up Catholicism and become agnostic, closer to her father's atheistic beliefs. When she was 10, she attended the boarding school of J. Sikorsky, and then she attended a secondary school for girls, when she graduated on June 12, 1883 with a gold medal. After she collapsed, possibly due to depression, she spent the next two years living in a country with her father's family. Because she wasn't able to enroll in an institution due to being a woman, she and her sisters joined the Clandestine Flying University, a Polish patriotic institution for higher education that admitted women. It was an underground educational enterprise that operated from 1885 to 1905 in Warsaw during the Russian Empire and again from 1977 to 1981 during the communist era. The purpose was to provide the Polish youth with the opportunity for education. While working to help her sister pay for school, she fell in love with a boy. However, his parents didn't want him marrying a girl with no money, so they refused to approve of their love, and he couldn't go against his parents. He went on to get his doctorate and became a professor and a mathematician. In 1890, her sister and brother-in-law moved to Paris and invited her to join them. She would join them a year and a half later. While saving up to join her sister in Paris, she studied, tutored, worked, and began her practical scientific training in a chemical lab ran by her cousin. In late 1891, she left Poland and moved to Paris, France. She lived with her sister and brother-in-law briefly before finding a place of her own closer to the university. She studied chemistry, physics, and mathematics at the University of Paris. She kept warm in the winter by wearing all the clothes she had. Sometimes she focused so hard on her studies, she forgot to eat. She would study during the day and tutor at night barely enough to get by. In 1893, she earned her degree in physics and began working in an industrial lab. With the aid of a fellowship, she was able to earn a second degree in 1894. Her scientific career began with an investigation of the magnetic properties of various steels commissioned by the Society for the Encouragement of National Industry. Also in 1894, she met a man that would later become her husband. She declined his first proposal because she still had dreams of moving back to Poland. He told her that he would move to Poland with her, even if it meant he couldn't pursue his current career. He would be the one to convince her to go back to Paris to get her PhD after visiting her family in Poland for a summer. They both worked in the same fields of science. After knowing each other over a year, they married. They did not have a religious service. The outfit she wore to her wedding was the same one that she would wear as her laboratory outfit. Her and her husband would have two daughters named Irene, born in 1897, and Eve, 1904. 
1895, a scientist named Wilhelm Fröntgen discovered the existence of x-rays, but how they worked was not understood. In 1896, Henry Becquerel discovered that uranium slats emitted similar raised x-rays, but did not depend on an external source of energy. These two discoveries helped our mystery person decide to look into uranium rays as a possible field of research for a thesis. Using her electrometer uh, that her husband had invented, she discovered that uranium rays caused the air around the sample to conduct electricity. She was able to find out that the activity of the uranium compounds depended on the quality of uranium present. She hypothesized that the radiation was coming from the atom itself and not the interaction of molecules. She continued the studies with more minerals, including two uranium minerals, pitchblende and tobernite. Pitchblende is a radioactive uranium-rich mineral and ore that is largely UO2. But because of oxidation, it typically contains variable proportions of U3O8. Radioactive decay of the uranium causes the mineral to contain oxides of lead and trace amounts of helium. Tobernite is a radioactive hydrated green copper uranyl phosphate mineral found in granites and other uranium-bearing deposits. Using her electrometer, she found that pitchblende was four times as reactive as uranium, and tobernite was twice as active. She concluded that these two minerals must contain another substance that was far more active than uranium. She began searching for additional substances that emit radiation. By 1898, she discovered that thorium is also radioactive. By mid-1898, her husband gave up his work on crystals and joined her on her studies. She published her findings as soon as she could to make sure that she would get credit for her findings. However, she was never given credit for discovering that thorium is radioactive because two months before she submitted her paper, Gerhard Karl Schmidt published his own findings in Berlin. Luckily for her, no one noticed that she believed that there was another element present in Pitchblende and Tilburnite. On April 14, 1898, she and her husband started searching for the mystery element in Pitchblende. In July 1898, she and her husband published a joint paper announcing the existence of a new element that they named polonium after her own country, Poland. On December 26, 1898, they announced another element, which they named radium, from the Latin word ray. They also coined the term radioactivity. To prove their discoveries, they isolated polonium and radium in pure form. Polonium was the easier element to isolate as it was the only bismuth-like substance found in pitchblende. Radium was harder to isolate because it resembled barium, which is also found in pitchblende. From a metric ton of pitchblende, one-tenth of a gram of radium chloride was separated in 1902. In 1910, she isolated pure radium metal. She was never able to isolate polonium, which has a half-life of 138 days. Between 1898 and 1902, she and her husband jointly and separately published a total of 32 scientific papers. One announced that diseased tumor-forming cells were destroyed faster than healthy cells when exposed to radium. In 1897, she would get a teaching job at Ecola Normal Superior. She and her husband did not have a dedicated laboratory. Most of their research was done out of the converted shed next to the ESPCI. The shed was a medical dissecting room, was poorly ventilated and not waterproof. At the time, they were unaware of the dangers that radiation exposed to people. The ESPCI did not sponsor her research. However, she would receive subsidies from metallurgical and mining companies from various organizations and governments. In 1900, she was the first woman faculty member at Ecole Normale Supérieure. In uh, 1903, she was awarded her doctorate from the University of Paris. 
That same month, she and her husband were invited to the Royal Institute in London to give a speech on radioactivity. However, she wasn't allowed to speak due to being a woman, but her husband was allowed to. She and her husband did not patent their discovery and did not benefit from the new, increasingly profitable industry that was developing based on radium. In December of 1903, she was awarded her first Nobel Prize in Physics alongside her husband and Henry Becquerel for their joint research in radiation. She almost didn't receive the award because one of the committee members and advocates for women scientists, Magnus Gusta Mittag Leffler, informed her husband, who then made a complaint. I like to imagine it was dramatic and passionate for his love and got her name added to a nomination. She was the first woman to be awarded a Nobel Prize. That was 120 years ago. She and her husband declined to receive the prize in person, stating that they were too busy with their work and her husband was feeling increasingly ill. They finally took a trip to Stockholm in 1905 as they were required to give a lecture. The award money allowed them to hire their first laboratory assistant. After receiving the Nobel Prize, her husband was offered a position at the University of Geneva. The University of Paris, not wanting to lose him, offered him a professorship and the chair of physics. He would only accept if he and his wife would get a new lab. The university reluctantly agreed, but it would not be ready until 1906. On April 19, 1906, her husband was killed in a tragic accident. He was walking in heavy rain and was struck by a horse-drawn vehicle. He fell under its wheels, fracturing his skull and killing him instantly. She was devastated by her husband's death. On May 13, 1906, the University of Paris offered her her late husband's position as a chair of physics. She accepted the position, hoping to create a world-class laboratory as a tribute to her husband. She was the first woman to become a professor at the University of Paris. In her later years, she headed the Radium Institute, a radioactive laboratory created for her by the Pasteur Institute and the University of Paris. The initiative for creating the Radium Institute came in 1909 when the director of the Pasteur Institute offered her to move to the Pasteur Institute because the University of Paris had yet given her a proper laboratory. Only then did the University of Paris finally give her a laboratory, which was a joint initiative with the Pasteur Institute. Despite her fame as a scientist working for France, the public had xenographic views of her. The right-wing press villainized her uh, as Jewish, a foreigner, and an atheist. Her mother's side of the family was Catholic, her and her father's were atheists. Her daughter later remarked on the French press's hypocrisy in portraying her as an unworthy foreigner when she was nominated for a French honor, but portraying her as a French heroine when she received foreign honors. In 1911, she had a year-long affair with a former student of her late husband, who happened to be married but estranged from his wife at the time of the affair. Today, that would be called separated but not divorced. There was a press scandal that was exploited by her academic opponents. The press portrayed her as a foreign Jewish homewrecker. When the scandal broke, she was in Belgium at a conference. When she returned home, she found an angry mob outside her home. She and her daughters had to seek refuge with her friend Camille Marbeau. In 1911, she was awarded her second Nobel Prize, this time in chemistry. She was given the award for discovery of the elements of radium and polonium. The chair of the Nobel Committee tried to prevent her from accepting the award in person due to her affair, but she told him that she would be president and that her scientific work and her private life had no relation to one another. She was the first person to win two Nobel Prizes and one of the two people to ever win two Nobel Prizes in two separate fields. 
physics and chemistry. Winning her second Nobel Prize enabled her to persuade the French government to support the Radium Institute built in 1914. This is where research was conducted in chemistry, physics, and medicine. A month after accepting her Nobel Prize, she was hospitalized with depression and a kidney ailment. She spent most of 1912 out of the public eye, as well as spending time in England with her friend Hertha Ayrton. She returned to her laboratory after a 14-month break. In 1912, the Warsaw Scientific Society offered her the new directorship of a new laboratory in Warsaw, but she declined to focus on the developing Radium Institute. She was appointed the director of a laboratory named after her in the Radium Institute of the University of Paris, founded in 1914. The Institute's development was interrupted by the coming war, as many were drafted into the French army, but it fully resumed its activities in 1919. During World War I, she realized that wounded soldiers had the best chance if operated on as soon as possible. She saw the need for field radiological centers near the front lines to assist battlefield surgeons and hopefully save some limbs that didn't need to be amputated. After studying radiology, anatomy, and automotive mechanics briefly, she procured x-ray equipment, vehicles, auxiliary generators, and developed mobile radiology units. She was appointed the director of the Red Cross Radiology Service and set up France's first military radiology center. It was operational by late 1914. She directed the installation of 20 mobile radiological vehicles and another 200 radiological uh, units at field hospitals in the first year of the war with the assistance of a military doctor and her 17-year-old daughter Irene. Later, she trained other women as aides. In 1915, she produced hollow needles containing radium emanation, a colorless radioactive gas given off by radium later identified as radon, to be used for sterilizing infected tissue. She later used radium from her own one gram supply. Despite all of her humanitarian work during the war, the French government didn't give her any recognition for her efforts for the war. She also attempted to donate her gold Nobel Prize medals to the war effort, but the French National Bank refused them. During the war, she did very little scientific research as most of her time was spent helping out the war efforts. In 1912, the French government established a stipend for her 25th anniversary of the discovery of radium. In 1921, she toured the United States to raise funds for the research on radium. She was welcomed triumphantly and publicized by Miss William Brown Melanie, a leading woman journalist in the 1920s of the United States. That same year, U.S. President Warren G. Harding received her at the White House to present her with the one gram of radium collected in the United States. The First Lady praised her as an example of a professional achiever. The French government was embarrassed by their own lack of appreciation towards her when she was about to meet the President of the United States, and they offered her a Legion of Honor, but she declined. A Legion of Honor is the highest French award of merit, both military and civil established in 1802 by Napoleon Bonaparte. In 1922, she became a fellow of the French Academy of Medicine. During the same year, she also traveled to other countries, uh, appearing publicly and giving lectures in Belgium, Brazil, Spain, Czechoslovakia, now Czechia and Slovakia. The Radium Institute produced more Nobel Prize winners, including her own daughter and her son-in-law while under her leadership and eventually becoming one of the world's four major radioactivity research laboratories. In August of 1922, she became a member of the League of Nations newly cr created International Committee on Intellectual Co Cooperation. 
She was on the committee until 1934 with other prominent researchers such as Albert Einstein, Hendrik Lorenz, and Henry Bergson. In 1923, she wrote a biography of her late husband. In 1925, she visited Poland to participate in a ceremony laying the foundations for Walt Warsaw's Radium Institute. In 1929, she went on another tour in the United States and succeeded in equipping the Warsaw Radium Institute with radium. The institute opened in 1932 with her sister as the director. In 1930, she was elected to the International Atomic Weights Committee and served there until her death. In 1931, she was awarded the Cameron Prize for Therapeutics of the University of Edinburgh. The last time she visited Poland was early 1934. She died just four months later on July 4, 1934, in Passy Haute France, at the age of 66. The cause of death? Apolastic anemia, a condition in which the body fails to make red blood cells, it is most commonly associated with cancer and uh, carious cancer syndromes, can also be caused by hereditary immune diseases or exposure to chemicals, drugs, or radiation. It is believed that her work with radiation is that that caused her death, the long-term exposure to radiation causing damage to her bone marrow. If you haven't guessed by now, I'm gonna give you one more hint. Her husband's name is Pierre Curie. If you still don't know, her name is Marie Curie, one of the greatest scientists of all time and one of the first women scientists. The work she did was truly amazing and extremely important to modern science and medicine. She is the reason modern medicine is where it is today. Who knows how long it would have taken someone else to figure out what she did. Cornell University professor L. Pierce Williams says, and I quote, The result of the Curies' work was epoch-making. Radium's radioactivity was so great that it could not be ignored. It seemed to contradict the principle of the conservation of energy and therefore forced a reconsideration of the foundations of physics. On the experimental level, the discovery of radium provided men like Ernest Rutherford with sources of radioactivity with which they could probe the structure of an atom. As a result of Rutherford's experiments with alpha radiation, the nuclear atom was first postulated. In medicine, the radioactivity of radium appeared to offer a means by which cancer could be successfully attacked. Now, here are some fun facts. The damaging effects of radiation were not known at the time of her work. She would carry test tubes of radioactive isotopes in her pockets and store them in her desk drawer. She even commented on the faint light that the substances gave off in the dark. She was also exposed to x-rays while serving as a radiologist in field hospitals during the war. She was buried alongside her husband at the cemetery of Sceaux. So. In 1995, they were both transferred to the Paris Pantheon in honor of their achievements. Their remains were sealed in a lead lining because of radioactivity. She was the second woman to be buried in the Pantheon and the first woman to be honored in the Pantheon on her own merits. Due to the levels of radioactivity, her papers from 1890 are considered too dangerous to handle. Even her cookbooks are highly radioactive. Her papers are kept in lead-lined boxes and anyone who wishes to consult them must wear protective clothing. Marie was more than a scientist. She also tested societal norms of her time 
it was hard for women to get an education in the late 1800s, early 1900s, especially in science. But she persevered. She knew what she wanted, and people that didn't like it weren't going to get in her way. Marie was also a very modest person. She didn't care about having money or fame for her contributions. In 1893, she was given a small scholarship, and in 1897, she returned the scholarship as soon as she started earning her keep. She gave away most of her first Nobel Prize money to friends, family, students, and research associates. Marie also refused to patent the radium isolation process so anyone in the scientific community could do it. She wanted any monetary gifts and awards to be given to scientific institutions she was affiliated with rather than to her. Both she and her husband would often refuse awards and medals. It makes me like her more knowing she didn't succumb to fame or fortune like so many others. She just truly wanted to do science and help others. All of the awards she earned, Nobel Prize in Physics, 1903, with Pierre, the Davy Medal, 1903, with Pierre, Matteucci Medal, 1904, with Pierre, Acton Neon Prize, 1907, Elliott Crescent Medal, 1909, Nobel Prize in Chemistry, 1911, Franklin Medal of the American Philosophical Society, 1921, entities named after her, the Curie, CI, a unit of radioactivity. It was named after both Marie and Pierre. The element curium, curite sklodowskite and cuprosklodowskite, three radioactive materials. The Marie Sklodowska Curie Actions Fellowship Program of the European Union. A metro station in Paris was renamed to honor both Marie and Pierre. Reactor Maria, a Polish nuclear reactor, the 7,000 Curie Asteroid, the Marie Curie Medal, an annual science award established in 1996 and conferred by the Polish Chemical Society, the Marie Curie Skodelska Medal and Prize, an annual award and conferred by the London-based Institute of Physics, biographies about Marie Curie, Madame Curie by Eve Curie, her daughter, Marie Curie, a life by Francois Giraud, Obsessive Genius, The Inner World of Marie Curie by Barbara Goldsmith, Radioactive Marie and Pierre Curie, A Tale of Love and Fallout by Lauren Redness, Movies, Madame Curie, 1943, Les Palmes de M. by M. Schultz, 1997, Marie Curie, Un Film sur la Fronte, 2014, Marie Curie, The Courage of Knowledge, 2016, Radioactive, 2019. One note I do want to make. Do you guys remember that boy that wouldn't date her because his parents said she was too poor? He would go sit outside of a building that was named after her and wonder what life could have been like. Don't forget to reach out on my socials in the show notes. Let me know how you did. We are available everywhere. Don't forget to share the podcast with your friends.